So Derek, I'd like to ask you if you could put on the slides for the sermon. I have some pictures to show you guys. And this is a really, really cool visual of what is inside of things. So this is the inside of a pearl, which is really cool. It's not a solid white, but it's, it's it formed, and that's the inside of a pearl. This is backstage at a beautiful theater like Proctor's. Such a different perspective, right? Seeing the, the grandeur and then all the technical stuff hidden behind those curtains. These are the blood vessels in the human hand if you take away everything else. That's a, I, I don't know about you guys, but when I see stuff like this, it makes me worship. Anytime you see, yeah, I know it's really gross, right? But it makes me worship because it makes some people want, you can go to the next one. It makes some people want to throw up because it's gross, but it's also really cool. There's these systems in our body that are running all the time. And they're so, so amazing. Who wants to guess what this one is? That is a bowling ball. Very good. This is obviously the inside of a tire. This one I found really cool, this next one. This is the underside of a lily pad. I was so shocked by that. Like how, how beautiful is God's creation? Like, it's amazing to me. This is the inside of an acoustic guitar. Just so cool. Like, I don't know how long it would take me to guess that, but it looks like a room. It's the inside of an acoustic guitar. These are the microbes from an eight-year-old boy's hand. So this is why kids need to wash their hands when they eat. That's really gross. And uh, pretty much all your old people need to wash their hands multiple times. Next. A tiger's stripes are more than fur deep. It's actually striped on his skin, which I did not know. And I imagine zebras are probably the same. That's my guess. But that's an amazing, amazing thing. This is a fully decomposed cactus. Just a whole world inside itself, right? Pretty cool. And then next... This is the inside of an elephant's tail. I thought that was kind of interesting. So I kind of chose the ones I thought I felt to be most interesting. It's, it's fun to see what's inside of things. I think that's really, really enjoyable. And I felt like in our text today that Paul is doing an explanation of what, is in, what he sees inside the Thessalonian church. Below the surface, below the, the blood vessels and the microbes, Paul is giving an explanation of what he sees inside the church in order to encourage uh, the people of the church to persevere and keep going. So, you know, obviously we, we've been, this, we're getting into 2 Thessalonians today after going through 1 Thessalonians, and, uh, and this church is going through extreme persecution. By the time this letter comes around, the persecution has intensified, so it's gotten worse, uh, which, we, which you can see from the text. There's a, what you see on the outside is just extreme persecution. You see suffering, you see affliction, but Paul goes below the surface to see what is on the inside of the church and where the, what the maturity of the church is at. So really, today's sermon is kind of talking about what is the church made of in Thessalonica, Thessalonica and what are we made of as Christians? This kind of helps us to look inside and see what we're made of. So let's read together. And it's on the screen if you don't have a Bible. Rebecca, she won a Bible last night, so, you know, she has a Bible. That's exciting. We're in 2 Thessalonians 1. I'm going to read the whole chapter says, to the church of the Thessalonians and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. 
All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all of those who have believed, this includes you because you believed our testimony to you. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of this calling, and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. The amazing thing about this passage is it's exactly three sentences in the Greek. Paul a, writes long sentences. It's incredible. And I want to unpack the things that Paul sees in the Thessalonian church. He's pointing out. The obvious things are persecution. The obvious things are, things are suffering and people uh, having a very hard time. But Paul sees what's inside and beyond that. So it says, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, in, in verse 1, to the church of the Thessalonians and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace this is more than just a simple greeting. This is Paul saying something significant. He's saying grace and peace from God to you. This is a focus on Jesus, Jesus' finished work on the cross. But even in the midst of suffering, there is grace and there is peace for the people that are part of the church. Peace is more than just the absence of war. It is a tranquil, right relationships among the body of the church. So, He's saying peace from Jesus to you and the, this body of the church. Not just the absence of war, but inner peace and tranquility in your relationships and grace to you, which is, which is something that Jesus gives us at our salvation and something, as we will see, Jesus gives us for the entire long haul of our lives. Grace and peace to you. Grace is the foundation, if you, if you really look biblically, for everything that God has done for us. The foundation is what Jesus accomplished on the cross, his, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension to the right hand of God. And it's not just forgiveness. It is actually the fuel that runs the engine of our Christian life. Grace is something that we receive daily. And we are receiving daily all the time. So we, we often you know, feel that everything is falling apart or, or things, are, things are going poorly. But the, the truth is, if you are persevering, if you are following Jesus in the midst of trouble, it's evidence that God has supplied you with his grace, the gas for your Christian life to keep going. And that is completely focused on what Jesus did on the cross. What Jesus' victory, Jesus' power and resources are all have moved forward in time to your life and are streaming into your life, from the cross directly into your life. And from the future glory, when Jesus comes again, his grace flows, meeting you exactly where you are in the middle. Grace. A good prayer to pray is, God, give me grace. Give me grace to help in my time of need. But the fact that you are persevering, the fact that you are still going when times are really tough is evidence that God is with you, 
His grace is at work in your life. It's more than just something that is true about God. It's something that says something about his redeeming activity in our lives, his flow of, of love and energy and, and forgiveness and strength to get through life. So he says, grace and peace to you. And that grace comes from Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here, it's more than just a saying of God is a father. It's saying God the Father. Other parts of the Bible say God our Father, as in the Lord's Prayer, our Father who is in heaven. What this is communicating is that Christians form a family, like we've talked about in the last few weeks, of God with God as our Father. You know, in Ephesians, it talks about Jesus, the Son, being the head of the church, and us all growing into the head, Jesus Christ, as we follow God the Father. So there's this beautiful picture here of, of the family of God. that Paul is able to say, grace and peace to you from God, our Father, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are connected meaningfully through God. And in Christ Jesus, all of us are children of God through faith, is what he's saying. He goes on to kind of the, the meat of the letter, which I think is found in these next couple of verses. And he says, We ought to always thank God for you, brothers and sisters. I, I, I love that Paul is following his own advice. If you remember when we were in 1 Thessalonians 5, when, when Paul was talking about how we should relate to God, he says we should rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. And Paul is modeling all of this in this letter. He's saying... We thank God for you always, brothers and sisters. And rightly so, because one, let's count them, your faith is growing more and more. That's one reason that, that Paul is thanking God for them. Two, the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about you, your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. So Paul thanks God that the Christians' faith is growing, that their love is growing, that they are persevering, and that they are persevering through the trials that they are enduring. This is just a, a, a huge encouragement that these people are really being sustained by the grace of Jesus Christ through a very difficult time. Their faith is growing, and that means both trust in God in the midst of persecution. It also means faithfulness to God in the midst of persecution. And I think that's something we can all relate to. Um, faithfulness to God when times are really tough and trust in God when times are really tough. Those are two things that Paul says are evidence of God's work and grace in our lives. And the second one, the love you have for one another is increasing. He notices that the church is growing in relationship and family love for one another that all of these people that make up this church who are from every tribe and tongue and race in the known world, they, whereas in the world there's animosity, there is, there is division, racism, um, people separated. But in Christ, this young church that's less than a year old, their, their faith is not only growing, but their love for one another is growing as well. It's also evidence of the grace of God on the move. And Paul says it's, it's such a good example that he actually boasts about the Thessalonians' perseverance and faith in the persecution and trials they are experiencing. Verse 5, it says, all this, meaning the increase of love, faith, trust, perseverance, all of this 
is evidence, is a clear indication that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. Now, Paul is not, to, to the contrary of saying that the Thessalonians are going to be judged for their sins, Paul is saying that their growth in faith, their growth in love, and their perseverance is actually proof that God is with them and sustaining them through trial. That they, um, they are going to be counted worthy of the kingdom of God because they're persevering in faith, love, and, and, and hope. This is proof of God's blessing in their lives. So in a time when everyone is experiencing persecution for being Christian, for, for um, going against the fabric of society at that time, and all they seem to be experiencing is oppression and without relief, just a pummeling from everyone around them. In the midst of that, Paul says, actually, the fact that you are growing in faith and love is evidence in, in this circumstance is that you are worthy of the call that God's placed in your lives. I think that's a huge encouragement to us because many times we find our face ourselves in a place where we feel like we are being assaulted or attacked by hostile forces, that things are, are just unrelenting, and we cry out to God asking him for help, and he doesn't seem to answer. But Paul is saying, Paul is saying here that the fact that we grow in faith and love and perseverance through that trial is evidence that God is with us and helping us. And we can be encouraged that we have been called, we have uh, been made worthy to be the people of God through the evidence of grace that's being shown in our lives. So God, whereas we see just everything going wrong and things turning against us, God sees faith and love increasing in us and growth through trials. And that's evidence of his grace. And I think that uh, some of the good news of this passage is that God also, if he had grace for these people, also has grace for your trials so that you can stand up underneath it. It's the, it's the gasoline that runs the Christian engine. God had grace for these people in the extreme duress. He has grace for you as well. So again, I say, praying a prayer, asking God for more grace is a good prayer to pray. You're not saying, save me again, in, in the terms of your ultimate salvation. You're saying, I need that, the stuff of my salvation in my life right now to persevere, to love, to express my faith. God, give this to me. I think that's something that we could ask the Father. He'd be very pleased to give it to us. And once he gives it to us, as we persevere, we are showing that we are called by God, that we are the people of God. Paul actually says, in this perseverance and flourishing under trial, that we are proven to be part of God's people. That if we, if we doubt whether we're part of the people of God, how we react under trial is a proving. It's a, it's a way to verify that indeed you are part of the people of God. And from the context of, of God's perspective, uh, that you are doing quite well, even though things might be failing all around you. I think that's a huge, a huge encouragement. Because if it weren't for the grace of God, you wouldn't be doing well. You wouldn't be growing in love. You wouldn't be growing in faith. You wouldn't be persevering. We don't realize it, but grace is running through everything we do. All of our efforts are bolstered up by grace. So if you are persevering, if you are walking with God, even through hard times in your life, where you can think of a time when you did, it was God's grace that carried you through. It's God's grace that will save you. And, and, and from, from the cross and from the future of Jesus' glorification, grace is just flowing into your life like waves and crashing in on you. It's God's grace from first to last. That's why people, when they, when they come into God's presence in, in heaven, 
They, they just throw down all their trophies and crowns because we see so clearly it was really God's grace that carried us through. It's like that old popular Christian song says, "'Twas grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead, lead me home." Very true words. The flourishing under trial, it's, it's, uh, it's impressive to God. Persevering under trial is impressive to God. In fact, and from your perspective, it can prove to yourself, I'm a real follower of Jesus. I'm really relying on his grace. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 11 to 12, we read this a while back. It says, For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. The growth that this church is experiencing as persecution ramps up, their increase of love and faith and perseverance shows and proves that they are living lives worthy of God. They're part of God's people and counted as worthy. I think it's important when looking at suffering in extreme circumstances like this, that Paul is not saying that people have to suffer in order to be counted as worthy of being God's people. I don't think that's what he's saying. But he's saying that those who do suffer because of their faith should be encouraged and comforted that as a result of how they've held up and grown during the struggle, they have proven to be worthy of the call of God, taking hold of that for which Jesus took hold of us. So I'd say if you are struggling to live out your faith in adverse circumstances, whether they be external circumstances or internal circumstances, because, you know, there's external and internal forces that can coalesce in our lives, I want to encourage you, the fact that you're still here and following Jesus is evidence of God's grace pouring through your life continually and sustaining you. And the grace he's given us is evidence that he counts us worthy of the calling he's given to us. And it's only a small foretaste of what is to come, the glory that will be revealed when Jesus comes back. And until then, our glory is, looks pretty dirty and messed up, but, but it's there. I think that um, we can't really hold buckets of grace. I think, we, I think it's like a pipe that God pours his grace into our lives that flows through our lives, then we need more grace after that. We just continually we need more and more of it. Uh, if you think about the manna in, in, um, when the God's people were wandering in, in the wilderness on the ground, it was a daily supply of food. And, and when the day was over, it went, it went uh, bad and they couldn't eat it anymore. And I think that's what grace is, like living on grace. Going to verse, so he's, he's saying that those who, who are continuing to flourish and grow in their love and faith and perseverance under trial, that they are the people of God, they are proven to be in God, and they are living by his grace. In, in, uh, in verse 6, he talks about those people who have chosen the other way. In fact, he's talking about the people that oppressed, that are currently oppressing the people of God. So in 2 Thessalonians 1, 6, it says, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief, and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. This is, this is a time when, when, when God's people are being beaten down and, and harassed and destroyed. What he's saying is that God will pay back the people that are doing this to them. It's justice is his. He will repay. God will give retribution to those who cause trouble on one hand, and he will give relief to the church on the other. So God will relieve the church on one hand, 
and he will come down hard on those who are afflicting the people. That's a pretty serious stuff. So it begs the question, who are those people that this is talking about who it says, do not know or obey the gospel of God? And this is not, I believe, people that have a simple ignorance of the gospel, but this is a people that have a willful rejection of Jesus and his kingdom and are actually setting themselves against the kingdom of God. They're actually persecuting and hurting and harming the church and refusing God. This is more than just simple ignorance, obviously, um, that these people have what it says is everlasting destruction. A friend of mine gave me a book this past week called The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. And in that book, C.S. Lewis says, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Without that, without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find. Those who knock, to those who knock, it is opened. To be, to be shut out from the presence of the Lord, from his glory and his power, is, is the everlasting destruction that is taught, spoke of here. A separation from the Lord and his glory, forever without any hope. On the other hand, God's people who are his possession are comforted and lifted up, but those who oppose, those who willfully reject the gospel, reject Jesus and intentionally live in the opposite direction, have no hope. They've chosen and said, this is my will, I want to live this way. And ultimately, the, the culmination is, um, of, of, of all those willful choices against God, is destruction and separation from God forever. That's why C.S. Lewis says, there's only two kinds of people. People that say to God, thy will be done. And people who, in the end, God says to them, thy will be done. You know, people choose which master they're going to serve. And there is a difference between following Jesus and not following Jesus. There's a difference between simple ignorance of Christ and the gospel and someone who willfully rejects it wholeheartedly and walks away. For that kind of person, there is no hope. Because God doesn't force himself on anybody, but makes the offer to everybody. In the case, um, you know, we might be tempted to say, why doesn't God just take care of all this justice stuff right now? You know, something, something in the Bible, it says, a verse in Scripture says, God is not slow as some understand slowness. Romans 2.4, do you show contempt for the riches of God's kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that, that God's kindness is intended to lead you, lead you to repentance? Another part of Scripture, it says, God delays his judgment in order that more people might come to know him. So this willful rejection of God is, is over the long haul throughout their whole lives, and is evidenced in this case in, in the people that are persecuting the church, um, actually trying to kill and destroy the work of God, enemies of the gospel. For those people, Paul says, everlasting destruction, separation from the Lord's presence and glory, but to those who are being persecuted, who are being proven, as their faith and love is increasing to those people forever, connected to the Lord's presence and his glory, and the future glory to be revealed. So the positive God, side of God's judgment in the end is relief to those who are persecuted, who, will, who persevere, who don't let their love grow cold, who continue in faith, relief to those people in the experience of his perfect, uninterrupted glory and presence for all time. But the judgment for those who choose to walk away willfully and not receive the gospel will be the opposite, just eternal separation from God's presence without hope. So I think these are weighty things, things we should take seriously and think about when we're thinking about how we make our choices every day 
and the and the people around us and how we share with them. Finally, in first second Thessalonians one, eleven to twelve, it says, With this in mind, we constantly pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling, and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I had never really noticed in this passage the, the wording of it, but it says, we are praying for you that God may consider you worthy of his calling, that you will persevere, that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. It's saying that, you know, we, we as Christians do have a desire for goodness many times. We do have things that are based on faith that we want to do, but that oftentimes we don't do them. And so Paul says, we're praying that by God's power, he will give you the grace to bring to fruition your inner desire to do good and to serve him. I think that's such an amazing thing. We have, we have so many good intentions as Christians of things we want to start doing or stop doing in our relationship with God. And, he sa- and Paul is saying, those aren't any small things. Those desires to do good things, to, to act in faith are good things, but, we, but you need to pray that God will let you follow through with those and bring them to fruition. Again, we run on grace. In verse 12, he says, we pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus. So we received grace on salvation. We received grace for our lives and we, re- we will receive grace in the future. Now, God's gift is helping us to develop in every good intention, in every work, so that we can carry out his will. So as you can see, this is both you know, human will, our desires, and also God's initiative and work helping us to follow through. Very, very like combined together. It's not all or nothing. It's not we, that we passively sit and wait for God to make us into good Christians. It's that we... We take those desires that are good in us, that are based in faith, and we go forward and we rely on God for the strength to carry them through. And for those people that walk with God in that way, one foot in front of the other, that perseverance, that growth of love and faith, uh, even in extreme circumstances, really shows uh, that they are truly following God. Philippians 1, 27 to 28 comes to mind. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Then, whether I come to, to see you only, to see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. God withholds his judgment and has patience for sinners and gives them time, and God lifts up the, his people, even in very difficult times, to grow in love, to grow in faith, and to grow in the grace he's given them. So in this, in this letter, you know, in this passage, Paul affirms, and as he affirms, he teaches, and as he teaches, um, he reminds that it's all by grace. As we're, as we're closing out this sermon, I just want to read this passage again and really just listen to it with fresh ears for what God would say to you and encourage you. The Church of the Thessalonians and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus. We ought always to thank you, 
brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you, because you believed our testimony to you. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling, and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouraging word that Paul uh, shared in this letter with the church that we get to eavesdrop on. And right now, I know that there are Christians in this room right now that are going through very difficult times, uh, some internally, some externally, emotional, um, health, uh, relational things in their lives. There is, we recognize that in the midst of this, there is, plenty of oppression that happens from the enemy of our soul. And sometimes there's even oppression on us as Christians from other people. I pray that in the midst of the trials that each person faces that are unique to them, Lord, I pray that your grace would meet them where they are, even right now. That you would not let their love grow cold, but in, in, in contrast, you would stoke the fire of their love for one another and for others. Lord, that you would give them faith, a trust in you, and also faithfulness to follow you through a very dark place because of the, the hope that they have in, in Jesus and ultimately his victory. I pray that your people, like the Thessalonian church, would persevere under trial. And in so doing, they would live up to, um, to the calling that you've given to them, Father. And they would live up to the calling they've received from Jesus to walk as Jesus walked and even to take up their cross and follow him and suffer in the ways that Jesus suffered. We thank you for, for your grace to us today. I pray that we would think about your grace for us this week as we consider the things in our heart that are good that we want to do and some of the works that we have not completed, uh, some of the things of faith that we haven't walked in yet. I pray that we would Remember to cry out to you for grace, to bring to fruition the good plans that we have and the things that are rooted in faith to the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. We want to follow you more closely, Jesus. And as we, as we are going to be forming into small groups very shortly, I pray that we would find opportunity, opportunity to grow in faith together, to weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn, to receive greater love for the brothers and sisters in the church and greater faith that we can share faith with one another and, and uh, inspire one another towards the things that you are calling us to in our lives and in our church.
So God, we just we lift this up. We thank you for being faithful to us. We recognize right now that you have been faithful to this church, Lord. You've been faithful to New Life Fellowship. You've sustained us, and there's great evidence of that sustaining power at work in us, the way you've carried us. Father, we thank you that you, well, people look at the outward appearance, and we look at the outward appearance many times. You look at the heart. Where, where we see failure and hopelessness, you see that they are persevering, that they are growing in faith and love. We thank you that you're always at work in us, God, that your grace is an endless supply to fuel our lives. You are good. You are so good to us. You're so generous. So, God, we lift up this praise that's offering to you, and we thank you for the work that you've done for us and for the finished work on Calvary. Amen. You are dispersed. Go and be the church.